This is District Sentinel Radio, the newscast of record for the left. I am Sam Sachs. I am Sam Knight. We are broadcasting out of Pistown, Washington, D.C. Check out the website, District Sentinel. Check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash District Sentinel. It's the first day of the month, so it's the best day that you can subscribe to the Sentinel. You get uh, access to all our bonus content. You get a free month subscription to Means TV. And you get your own haiku written for you and read on the air. We're going to read some poetry a little later on today's show. Before we get into the newscast, just wanted to put a call out to listeners here. We mentioned this on our last subscriber show, uh, not last week, but the week before that. We've got a ton of... uh, payroll protection program emails, PPP, uh, emails related to the PPP, the payment protection program, uh, that Sam acquired via FOIA. And we are willing to share that with anybody who is interested in taking a look at these emails. So we initially put that call out to subscribers only, but we're going to put that call out to uh, general listeners. Um, Anything else to add there, Sam? Yeah, so we don't actually have the emails yet, but I uh, requested them from the Treasury Department and uh, they sent a log of all emails that uh, Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin uh, was involved with, he either sending or receiving about the PPP. And uh, so we have this log of um, senders uh, sorry, not Cinder. We have the log of the correspondence with Mnuchin in the subject line, and uh, we the, the Treasury Department has asked us to pick which of those emails we want them to actually produce, rather than producing all of them to save on their uh, you know printer costs or whatever or their their xeroxing costs, labor costs. <laughs> so anyway, we can pick uh, these emails, and uh, we invite you to take a look at this log to see if there are any emails you would like us to request. And if you want to see the log, just slide into the DMs at the DC Sentinel. If you're on Twitter, you can email us at uh, the DC Sentinel News at yahoo.com or you can message DC, us on Patreon. Yeah, yeah, it's DC Sentinel News at yahoo.com. Oh, oops. I d- did I say the DC Sentinel News at yahoo.com? Yeah, yeah oh, that's, but that's all right. Ma- major oopsie by me. Uh, but anyway, get in touch, and if you want to see the log, I will send. I will email it to you as an attachment. And if you have any requests, let me know, and I will find. I will finalize uh, what I want to see from the emails, and take any input from you or our uh, loyal listeners, and uh, we can dig through these together. That's right. There you have it. It's Tuesday, December first, twenty twenty. Here's the news. Yesterday, more than 167,000 Americans contracted the coronavirus. More than 1,200 died. Ten months into the pandemic now, and state governments still don't have the necessary testing kits and protective equipment to get a handle on the virus. For example, 24 states and territories told the Government Accountability Office, GAO, that they are experiencing shortages of rapid point-of-care tests. And while there is some good news on the vaccine front, with healthcare workers and high-risk populations being able to access one as soon as this month, possibly, 
States are concerned about having the capabilities to administer a vaccine to the wider population. According to the GAO, about one-third of states are, quote, greatly or completely concerned about having sufficient vaccine-related supplies to administer COVID-19 vaccines. An additional 21 states indicated that they were moderately concerned. In the past few months, you may have heard conservatives complaining about how dead people were sent stimulus checks. Never mind the fact that when you're dead, you can't cash checks, so who cares? What about people who should have received money but never did? Light was shed on this yesterday, also by GAO. A study released by the watchdog found that some 9 million people, almost 3% of the country, should have received a $1,200 stimulus check but didn't as of September. Of the 9 million, only 16.5% don't regularly file tax returns, meaning they should be harder to contact. The Treasury Department and the IRS didn't even plan to track the effectiveness of their stimulus check mailing until 2021, a GAO said. When Congress passed the pandemic stimulus in March, these payments were called economic impact payments because they were supposed to get to people quickly to make an economic impact. Again, some 9 million people still hadn't got their money about half a year after the stimulus was passed. So I don't want to hear any more about dead people getting checks that they never cashed. Who, who cares? In other news from GAO's latest pandemic relief analysis, the backlog in processing unemployment claims has led to labor market data inaccuracy. The watchdog said that the Department of Labor, quote, potentially both overestimated and underestimated the total number of individuals actually claiming unemployment insurance this year. What's clear, the report noted, is that for many people, the situation is trending worse. Even though temporary layoffs have decreased throughout the year, long-term unemployment has increased from April to October to 3.7 million from 2 million. Also, the number of people way behind on their mortgage is up substantially. The rate of so-called seriously delinquent borrowers, those three months or more past due, roughly tripled between May and August. Things are bad and there's no sign they're getting better anytime soon. More on that later in the show. On Monday, the Supreme Court heard oral arguments in a case that could have lasting effects on the power balance in Congress and future presidential elections. Justices will rule on whether or not President Trump has the authority to just exclude undocumented immigrants from this year's census count. The White House issued a memo in July ordering the Commerce Department to produce two sets of numbers, one including undocumented immigrants and one excluding them. The president would then choose which one to submit to Congress. Pretty sure I have an idea on which one he'll choose. Census data determines how federal resources are allocated and how congressional seats and electoral college votes are dispersed. Therefore, a decision to leave out millions of individuals from the count would result in fewer resources and less electoral power for areas of the country with high immigrant populations. A Pew Research study found that states like California, Florida, Texas, and Arizona would all lose a congressional seat, while Montana would gain a seat. Alabama, Minnesota, and Ohio would end up keeping a seat that the states would otherwise lose from a full census count. The lawsuit was brought by immigrant rights organizations and a coalition of states led by New York. They secured victories in lower courts that ruled President Trump's order was unlawful. 
Early reports from Monday's oral arguments suggest that even conservative justices were skeptical of the plan to exclude immigrants from the census count. However, some justices seemed open to delaying a ruling on the case until after the official numbers have been transmitted from the Census Bureau at the end of the month in order to see the raw numbers that would be affected by a decision. Liberal Justices Kagan and Sotomayor rejected that idea of delaying a ruling, stating that we already know there are millions of undocumented immigrants who would be affected by this. Chief Justice John Roberts also stated that if the court were to wait until a new apportionment of congressional seats had already started to make a ruling, it would be like trying to unscramble eggs. President Trump is required to submit the census count to Congress by early January. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin and Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell testified together before Congress today for the first time since the two publicly disagreed over the use of pandemic relief, something we talked about on yesterday's show. Mnuchin agreed to extend emergency lending facilities to financial sector borrowers while refusing to do the same for vehicles designed for state and local governments and small businesses. Mnuchin ordered the return of hundreds of billions of dollars in uncommitted relief money and was criticized for this by Powell and a rare public rebuke of one government official by another. Here was the take of Sherrod Brown, the top Democrat on the Senate Banking Committee. Mnuchin, according to Brown, is kneecapping the economy because President Trump lost last month. And as far as I can tell, Secretary Mnuchin, you're leaving the country worse off than you found it. With that record, it's pretty obvious why 80 million Americans uh, voted for a le new leadership, a decisive margin. And other than using your final offices, final months in office to work for the people whom you have sworn to serve, you appear to be trying to sabotage our economy on the way out the door. Note that Brown keeps winning in deeply red Ohio while being one of the meaner Democrats and unashamedly pro-labor. It's a shame he debases himself by carrying water for party mercenaries like Neera Tanden, something he did this week on Twitter, but I digress. Anyway, this was Secretary Mnuchin's response. You shouldn't have trusted me, fool. Uh, my decision not to extend these facilities was not an economic decision. Uh, I'm surprised to hear Senator Brown used words like sabotage, no legitimate justification, delusional malpractice, time for action. I'd be more than happy, Senator Brown, to come see your staff and walk you through the legal analysis. But this is perfectly clear. Uh, the Senate provided unprecedented authority to the Secretary of the Treasury in giving me $500 billion. In other news about pandemic relief, a nine-member group of Republican and Democratic senators are trying to kickstart talks over a second stimulus. The legislation is worth $900 billion, half the amount of the stimulus supported by the White House just before the election. Per the Washington Post, it would include unemployment benefits worth only $300 per week, half of the benefit provided by the CARES Act passed in March. The bill includes money for small businesses, schools, health care, student loans, and transit authorities. It also contains a top item on the Republican wish list, or at least part of it, a temporary liability shield for businesses facing COVID-related lawsuits. The legislation also includes part of an item on Democrats' wish list, $160 billion in assistance for state and local governments, though based on how Tom Cotton described what Democrats asked for, it doesn't sound like the hardline Republicans would even agree to this much. They want to hold up funding for small businesses and for 
restaurants and for industries like airlines, money to help schools reopen in some states or stay open, as the case is in Arkansas, so they can get things like welfare checks for illegal immigrants, or they can override state voting laws, or let violent felons out of prison. With Arizona and Wisconsin certifying their election results, the last of the battleground states have been settled in the final electoral vote count in the 2020 presidential election, stands at Joe Biden 306, Donald Trump 232. Trump's efforts to overturn the results through legal challenges and through pressuring state lawmakers to avoid certifying the results have failed. There is, however, one last opportunity for the incumbent to derail Biden's victory, and that rests in Congress. The House and Senate will convene together on January 6th to officially certify the election winner, and individual lawmakers will have an opportunity to challenge the vote counts in each state. All it takes is a single House member and a single senator to join together to challenge a state's results, which would trigger both the House and Senate to adjourn to their respective chambers, debate the challenge for two hours, and then vote on whether it's legitimate. In prior elections, 2001 and 2017, House Democrats attempted to challenge the results of the election, but were unable to bring a senator on board to advance to the next stage. In 2005, Democratic Senator Barbara Boxer joined House Democrats in challenging the results out of Ohio, prompting debate in both chambers, but with both the House and Senate in the hands of Republicans at the time, that challenge was voted down. Politico reporting that there are a number of House Republicans considering a challenge to the vote totals, including hardline reactionaries like Matt Gates, the newly elected QAnon enthusiast Marjorie Taylor Greene, and Pennsylvania's Mike Kelly. The lawmakers could get the senators they need, too, with Rand Paul recently floating conspiracy theories on Twitter about the election results. However, even if a challenge is initiated, it's unlikely to survive a vote in the democratically controlled House, nor even the Republican-controlled Senate, where enough Republican senators like Mitt Romney and Lisa Murkowski have already recognized Joe Biden as the winner. It will be worth watching, however, the whole spectacle on January 6th, as Vice President Mike Pence will be presiding over the special session of Congress to certify the results. There should be a lot of pressure on him from the top, and it should make for a, a very awkward situation watching Mike Pence conduct business that day. And finally, assuming those results are certified, plans are underway for a scaled-down inauguration for Joe Biden, an inauguration fit for accommodating a pandemic. It's likely that Biden will continue the tradition of transferring power in front of the U.S. Capitol and provide an inauguration speech. But unlike prior years, the number of participants on stage with Biden will be slimmed down. The number of tickets made available for spectators on the Capitol lawn will be drastically decreased. Officials are also debating what to do about spectators congregating on the National Mall. One thing Biden will keep a tradition of securing hefty donations from wealthy individuals and corporations to finance inauguration festivities. Trump raised $107 million in inauguration donations, many of which raised concerns about quid pro quos and corruption. The Biden team doesn't appear too concerned about similar criticism directed their way. An official involved in inaugural planning told the New York Times that the Biden camp is accepting donations of up to a half million dollars from individuals and up to a million dollars from corporations. 
As the Times notes, this is a regression from Obama's inauguration in which corporate contributions were banned altogether and individual donations were capped at $50,000. President Trump had no caps for his inauguration. He even accepted a $5 million donation from reactionary casino tycoon Sheldon Adelson. Biden's team did say, however, that it won't take donations from fossil fuel companies or registered lobbyists. And that music means the newscast is over and it's time to turn to the poetry portion of the show where we read haiku for all our new subscribers over at patreon.com slash district sentinel. This first haiku goes out to Yasmin. Hangers multiply, got one in the closet, then suddenly there's 10. Thank you, Yasmin. If you have too many hangers, you can always send them my way. Hey, you don't hangers. have any? Yeah. If you don't have you any, know. they can't multiply. But uh, I guess I can send you one and it becomes 20. <laughs> just, I, I feel like you can never have too many hangers. And, oh, or you can. Maybe I just have hanger shortages sometimes. You can. Anyway, I've got way too many. This is for Zumfrey. A gift to yourself if you forget about some weed in the grinder. Hmm. It's, uh, some good advice there. Although I don't think I've ever forgotten about weed in my grinder. I know where all my weed is at all times. <laughs> Every morsel of it. Thank you, Zumfrey. Thanks to all the new subscribers. Again, that's patreon.com slash district sentinel. We've got a brand new chip chat coming your way on Wednesday. We discuss the uh, assassination of the Iranian nuclear scientist and Trump's transition plans. Uh, I should say Trump's plans during this transition period to put more pressure on the Iranian government, which could result in a war. Check us out on Thursday morning on Means TV for a brand new Means Morning News. And then we're back here Friday for the subscriber show. We're here in D.C., so you don't have to be.